Uh, Father, uh, we're thankful that uh, that we can count on, on you being here with us. Lord, as we open your word, um, you are ministering to our hearts and in our minds in ways that we don't even know. And we ask that you would do your will uh, at this time, that, uh, that you would humble us before you so that we can uh, have uh, joy that is uh, eternal, joy that is uh, beyond what the world can give. So Lord, would you meet with us at this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're like me, uh, you're on vacation, and it's great. Uh, you've probably been looking for, forward to this time for a very, very long time. I know that I have. Um, I know that uh, the year was, was kind of difficult with studies and, and with, uh, with work, and I'm sure that you've felt that as well. Um, maybe, maybe I'm looking forward, uh, maybe I was looking forward to this vacation so, because I was working too hard. I was overworked throughout the semester. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm a creature who loves to rest. And so here we are, um, resting, and uh, I, if you're like me, next week you're going to catch yourself looking at your schedule to see when is the next time you're going to have a break, next time that you're going to have vacation, so you can start planning for it. We just love rest. That's just, that's just the way that we're made. You, um, you probably heard when, when Matthew was, uh, was reading the Bible that it talked about rest quite a bit. And if you're not a Christian, you, you might be kind of uncomfortable with the notion that you know, God gives rest. Um, maybe if you're not a Christian, you're thinking that, you know, God is a judge. God is a God who sees everything and he is waiting to just snap on us. He's waiting to, to judge us and condemn us. How can, you, how can somebody rest when there's a God like that? And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at this passage in Hebrews, which talks about rest. So if you, ever, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me. It would be a great help if you can turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1. And while you're turning there, I'm going to just going to give a, a little bit of a background uh, to the letter of Hebrews. Uh, basically, what's happening here? This, so this, uh, there's a lot of speculation. We don't know who the author is particularly, but um, there is. Uh, so so we, we kind of understand this letter to the Hebrews as a sermon. Uh, so basically, what we're doing is we're reading somebody else's sermon. But we're at this part in, in the sermon where um, where it's talking about rest, and the threat is that. The culture is giving, is putting a lot of pressure on the Christians to abandon Jesus, to go back to, uh, to maybe Judaism or go back to the ways of the culture. So let's, let's look at that in verse one. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So here it is. The promise of entering his rest, the promise of entering God's rest, that is. It still stands. And so it kind of seems like a, like a shock that, that God would want rest for people when he maybe is the God who is so demanding. So let's, uh, Andrew, if we can have our first point, I think, or, yes, thank you. That's the second point. So our first point is, uh, God loves rest and promised to share his rest with ordinary and extraordinary people alike. God loves rest and promised to share his rest with ordinary and extraordinary people alike. We usually, in our points, we usually have ordinary people. I'm, I put extraordinary people just in case you f- associate more with extraordinary um, <laughs> so that everyone here is, is in, the, in the picture. So God loves rest and promised to share his rest with ordinary and extra, extraordinary people alike. 
Now, doesn't the Bible care more about judging people and, and telling people what to do? Um, this is kind of the question that we, that we were wondering at, at first. Uh, we'll see later on as, as the theme of rest develops. But just to give a, a, a small little picture um, of, of what it means for God uh, to have a rest for us. Um, when uh, Well, I'm a musician. Some of you know that. I'm, I, I love uh, playing music. I play the French horn, and I've recorded uh, on some albums. And, and one of the most exciting things when we're recording, we, we love to play music together. We love to do the process. But at the end, when we're done, we love to listen to the music. We love to see the final product. And I think this is the picture of rest that the Bible is trying to paint, is that God creates everything, and now he, he dwells. His, his presence falls on creation so that he can appreciate all the work that he has done. And not just by himself. He created human beings to appreciate it with. And so, so, so this is the biblical picture of God's rest, that God dwells with his people in full delight with them, uh, enjoying the creation and the benefits of the creation. So let's read verse 1 again. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, you're probably thinking, hold on a minute. Fear so that we can enter rest? Like, fear, like, that's usually, like, something that is completely contrary to rest. Like, when I fear, I'm restless. Like, I don't want to fear so that I can enter a rest. Like, doesn't, that doesn't really make sense. And you, maybe you're thinking of the old, uh, pro, the old uh, Lucasfilm proverb from a long time ago in a, a galaxy far, far away where this little green guy said, fear leads to anger and anger leads to hate and hate leads to the dark side. Like, doesn't that seem more consistent with reality? That, uh, that fear leads to, to something like that. That fear leads to, to anger and, and hate and all those things. How can the Bible say that fear leads to rest? Well, basically what's happening here is that, uh, the, the writer is continuing an argument that started in the previous chapter. He's saying fear the, fear your sinful hearts. Fear the ability of your heart to sin against God. See, um, fear is maybe not so much, it's not so much of a bad thing. The Bible talks about it in two ways. And you can read the blog. There's a lot more detail on that. I, I wrote a blog on, on fear and the fear of the Lord. And so you can uh, refer to that. But basically, fear uh, here is not to paralyze us spiritually. It doesn't, it doesn't, God doesn't want us to, to be paralyzed spiritually so that we can enter rest. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about uh, a fear that produces uh, spiritual diligence that we are diligent in doing God's will. See, when I was young, I was taught to fear uh, the fear fire, fear the, the element on the, on the stove, because I would get burned. But that doesn't mean that heat is evil, that heat is bad to be avoided in all, in all cases. Um, we need to master it. We need to master heat so that we can use it for good purposes. And so here... Uh, the, the, the thread of the argument is trying to, that it's trying to say is that we need to fear our hearts uh, and the deception of sin that comes into our hearts. So if we can have our second point, our hearts are sinful and restless until they find themselves in the God of purity and rest. One of the, the wisest things that a mentor told me once is that uh, he said, Jonathan, one of the things that we don't fear is our hearts, is our sin. See, it's amazing that when we'll, we'll look here at verse 2, let's, let's read verse 2. Uh, for good news came to us just as to them. 
See, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. It says here, for good news came to them. Good news came to Israel that God would deliver them from slavery and bring them to a land of prosperity and security. And now here, the good news is coming to us that Jesus, uh, when he died on the cross and rose again and ascended to heaven, uh, he delivers us from the slavery of sin to bring us into uh, a heavenly rest now. And when, when, we, when we go to heaven to be in his presence, we'll have rest for eternity. And we can miss that. We can miss that because our hearts uh, can deceive us. Our hearts can love sin more than loving the God who has done everything for us to enjoy eternal delight in his presence. Our hearts are sinful and restless until they find themselves in the God of purity and rest. One of the things that people critique about Christianity uh, is that, um, you know, in order to be a Christian, you need to have those same kind of uh, views on morality and, and, and politics and all those things. Uh, but it's actually, that's not really the case. That's not the case at all, actually. Um, let's, let's look at, um, at verse 2 again. For good news came to us as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. To be a Christian, it's not, it's not just kind of saying, well, you're not at a buffet and saying, well, I uh, associate more with uh, this religion or this spirituality or this uh, Christianity. When we come to Jesus, we come to the realization that we are sinful beings and that God paid for our sins to make us right with himself. We have nothing to boast about, only the cross that God would so love the world, send his son for us. So looking at verse 2 again, there's, uh, there's this thing uh, uh, here that it's talking about, that uh, though the good news came to them, the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Before I was a Christian, I had all these, these I had strange ideas about, about God, uh, even though I was kind of raised in the church and I uh, was taught certain things about the Bible. I thought that um, by virtue of having, you know, being raised in, in, a, in a maybe Catholic home and having gone to, the, to a good school and, and being part of a good family and having, you know, a grandfather who was, who was religious and being, having, having friends that are religious, I thought that somehow God would have mercy on me. Uh, just, just for having those things, being in the right circles, being uh, born of the right family and all those things. But what this is saying is that it's not about that. It's not about being part of, of the right family, being uh, part of the, the right background or, uh, or all those things. What verse 2 is trying to tell us is that it's, it's not about our group, not our social class, our religious experience, our sexual orientation, whether we're generous or whether we're frugal. The fact that you've prayed before, the, the fact that you've maybe thought you never needed to pray, it's not those things that will bring uh, God's favor upon us. What it's saying is that salvation is a free gift from God that we simply receive by faith and that we walk by faith. Salvation is a free gift from God that we receive by faith and we must walk in faith. So this, this verse here is, is 
It's kind of alluding to Numbers 14 in the Old Testament. Numbers is one of the books in the Old Testament and tells the story of Israel, how there were people who were part of this community um, who were uh, who received uh, salvation from God, who were taken out of the land of slavery, and they were walking with Moses, who believed. They were walking with Joshua and Caleb, who believed. But they didn't benefit. They didn't enter the promised land because they didn't believe. So it's possible to be part of these, this, this group of the church, actually. It's possible to be part of the church, to go to the church on Sundays, to even drive maybe an hour to get here, and to, to do your, your duty to be here, and yet not believe. So this text is trying to, to move us to the, the place of faith in the heart, in the mind, where do we actually believe? Do we put our faith and trust in Jesus alone? So let's, uh, if we can have our, our next point. So God delivers sinners and promises them rest after faithfulness through the desert. So this is the picture that it's trying to paint here. So if you're a Christian and you've been wondering why you feel like your faith is dry like the desert sand, uh, maybe you're, you're dissatisfied with Christianity, you've, you've walked uh, as a Christian for some time, and... Uh, and now you're just struggling with, you know, not, not being content. This is uh, actually a fairly common thing. And uh, I think a lot of Christians do experience that. And the reality is that we don't know what to do about it. We don't know how to talk about it. We feel like if we're going to talk about it, people are going to think we're lesser of a Christian. Uh, there was a time when, when I was going through that and I went to go see a Christian counselor, which was a very good thing for me to do. And what they did to help me was that they, they used this imagery that the text here is, is showing that, uh, that God saves us from slavery. That God saves us and he prepares us for the promised land, uh, eternal rest in his presence. And so I was in the desert season of my walk with the Lord. I was, I was going through desert and the desert season and I, I could no longer remember the salvation that He had given me. Uh, I was thinking through, you know, how, how I've sinned and, and my question was, does God, uh, reject me or does He still, um, or is God finished with me? So the question is, is there hope if you're a Christian and you've sinned and now you feel restless over your sin? Well, let's look at verse 3. We'll be able to find something here in verse 3 that might be able to help us. For we who have believed, verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And what the writer here is doing is that he's using a negative to prove a positive. He's saying they shall not enter my rest as though there is still a rest to be entered. And that's what the, the what we'll see here. That's what he's trying to say. So we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day from uh, in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted. So what this uh, this passage is saying is that there is a theme in the Bible for rest, that God, when he created the world in six days, on the seventh day he stopped his work 
to rest. And it wasn't just to stop doing work. It was to, to, to come into creation. The word rest also implies that God's presence fell onto creation. It came down into creation to dwell with human beings, to see what was going on there, and to, to delight in the presence of human beings. And now, uh, because of the fall, human beings have sinned against God. And we can't experience that rest anymore. We're, we're separated from God. Our sin separates us from God. And now, uh, God has, is, is the God who is calling a people to himself to save them, to make them uh, experience that rest again, to restore things so that uh, things can be like in the paradise of, of Genesis 2. And now when Jesus comes into, as, as an Israelite, comes to, to live perfectly under the law, he um, comes to live and die on the cross. And in doing so, he breaks the power of the curse so that we can experience rest. So that, uh, friends, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. The Holy Spirit comes and and gives us the assurance of God's love and gives us this experience of deep rest uh, in our hearts. And what is happening here is that it's eternity breaking in to time and space, into our hearts. There's a rest that's still to come, a rest that is uh, at the end when we die or when Jesus returns, there's a rest there that is still to come. But when we believe in Jesus, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, there's the rest that comes and breaks into this uh, cursed creation, this uh, this broken body of ours. And so we get a glimpse of what it means to rest in God, even now. And so if we can have our next point. God's rest in Messiah is for me, if I do not harden my heart to his voice. So how do I enter this rest that the text talks about? How do I enter this uh, eternal rest in the presence of God? Well, first of all, let's, let's, let's look at verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So what do we do? Well, this text is saying, don't harden your hearts. And gosh, that's hard. How do, I, how do I not harden my heart? It starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. God, come into my heart. God, make your dwelling into my heart. Soften my heart to your word. And when we're walking the Christian life, same prayer. God, have mercy on me. God, you know that I've sinned. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Soften my heart to your voice. God wants you to experience rest. This text is saying that rest is still available to you. Whether you've never given your life to Jesus or whether you've given your life to Jesus this morning or 10 years ago or whether you don't even know when you gave your life to Jesus, you've always known Jesus. His rest is available to you. So let's look at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. There's something really interesting in this passage here. Um, Joshua brought the people of Israel into the promised land. And yet it's saying that they did not have rest. How is that possible? How is it possible to, to go into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, land of, of economic prosperity, uh, of, 
of political uh, stability and security from all your enemies and still not have rest. How is that possible? Well, again, this text is saying that you know, it's, it's about softening our hearts in the, before God to his voice. And so we will experience rest. The people, when they entered the land, they did not experience that rest because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. See, it's interesting that in our, in our lives, we, we tend to pursue things like, um, you know, uh, maybe some, some form of comfort. We pursue, um, rest. We pursue, uh, partying and, and just enjoying life. And yet, we seem even more restless. How is it possible? And it presents a human problem that we can have prosperity and we can have security and all these earthly goods and yet have no rest. The problem is that we try to satisfy our deepest longings in things that are temporal, of no eternal value. Now, whether you're millennial and, and, and searching to make a difference in life, and that's your life goal, or whether you're a professional trying to earn a living, or whether you are retired and hoping to find rest from your labors, now these are all good pursuits. But if that's your only pursuit, you will not find rest. There is no rest in these things because they're not meant to satisfy. I like to share the, the story of, of when I was a child and I used to play in the basement with my brother and, and we had this big, big metal treasure chest uh, just uh, where we were playing hide-and-seek. And I used to, to walk by and think, like, wow, my parents have this huge inheritance for me. Like, they have gold in there and diamonds and I'm going to inherit that one day. And um, I, one day I found out when they opened the treasure chest that it was only linens and, and covers and, and all that. And I was so disappointed. Can you blame me? I was so disappointed. Why is that? Because in a treasure chest, we don't put linens. We put treasures. It's a treasure chest. And so we go through life disappointed. We walk the Christian life disappointed. Why? Because we feed our hearts with things that aren't supposed to go there, with treasures that, that aren't supposed to fill our longings. It's God who fills, fulfills our hearts. It's to be known by God and to know him that fulfills our deepest longings. Now, I wanted to make sure that it's, it's not only Christians who feel that way. I, so I looked up this song by Mick Jagger, who sang uh, the song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And he repeats it for minutes and minutes. And apparently... This song resonated with a lot of people. A lot of people don't get satisfaction. No matter how many times that they try, and they try, and they try. See, he tells in this song how entertainment, how riches, how relationships, and even sexual relationships cannot satisfy him. They cannot satisfy him. That's because our only rest and satisfaction is in knowing God and being known by him. So you're probably thinking, boy, that's the most depressing New Year's sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> We're not done. So let's turn to, <laughs> to verse uh, 9. To verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. So here it's talking about a Sabbath rest. And you might have noticed that the other times that I talked about rest, it didn't talk about Sabbath rest. Now it's talking about Sabbath rest. 
And even the Greek word is different. Here it's sabbatismos. Uh, don't ask me what that means. Well, actually, you can ask me what that means. I looked it up. I did my homework. It means Sabbath rest. <laughs> okay, so the implication here is actually a, a, it's from a, a Jewish word that, that says, uh, that is the, when we say it, it's Shabbat, Shabbat. Sabbath, Sabbath. And when we repeat it twice, it means ultimate Sabbath. This is not just a, any type of Sabbath. This is a celebration. It's an eternal a celebration, a festive celebration with God. See, the Jewish people used to celebrate the, well, they still do actually to this day, they celebrate the Sabbath on the Sabbath day, which is, uh, which starts for, uh, Friday at sundown and goes all the way to, through Saturday. And some of you have been to a Sabbath dinner. Uh, we, we've done that over the years. And what happens at the Sabbath dinner is that, you know, we have, uh, we have the company of our friends, uh, we have wine, we have fresh bread and we have a meal together we sing songs we pray we do all these great things and it's so much fun and here the text is saying that there remains a sabbath celebration for the people of god that god's intention is that we would experience the eternal delight of his presence now and forever that when we put our faith and trust in jesus we can experience his sabbath rest that's what awaits us See, in a world that is so hopeless and so restless, Christians can have hope. Christians can have rest. Christians can know for sure that because Jesus died and rose again and promised us rest, that we will have rest. There's not many people who die and rise from the dead. But when somebody does, you better listen. Maybe some of you are, are looking forward to tonight. You're looking forward to your uh, New Year's celebration. It's going to be fun. There's going to be friends, family, uh, maybe pop a bottle of champagne, and there's going to be a warm fire, nice dinner, and maybe even fireworks. And this is great. But tomorrow morning, if you party a lot, if you party enough, you'll realize that uh, there's only so much that these uh, earthly rests and earthly parties and celebrations can do. There's only so much that they can satisfy. You might feel really, really tired and, and maybe hard to get out of bed tomorrow, depending how much you party. And that's just going to prove to us that uh, these things only point to these parties, these celebrations, only point forward to God's rest, only point forward to this eternal rest where we will never be tired of celebrating in God's presence. So if we can have our, our next point, God's rest is eternal in quality and length for us now by faith in the crucified Messiah. Now what, I'm, what, what this point is trying to say is that uh, it's the, the quality of the rest is eternal. We don't understand that. We're so stuck in time and space, but it's when eternity breaks in and, and it's available, available to us now by faith in the crucified Messiah. So God is inviting you to this rest. Now let's read verse 10 again. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now there's an interesting parallel here that's trying to show that there's a future rest for Christians in the presence of God in the new creation where there will be no more toil or anxious, anxious work uh, trying to make a living uh, nor will we need to strive anxiously for holiness. 
All we'll know is holiness. All we'll know is the delight of purity in our hearts. See, we spend so much time uh, working and, and doing all the, these activities that are, are fun, uh, whether you're an artist, you love to make music or, or paint or these things, and these are great things. But the problem is that we lash onto it. We put our identity in them. And the cross severs that. The cross helps us to find our identity in God. As we conclude, let's look at uh, verse 11 with a final exhortation. Verse 11 reads, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, before anyone goes out of here uh, to, you know, to try to make things right so they can have good rest, you know, before anyone goes out to find a new job or quit their job or find new friends and all that, what the text here is trying to say, this exhortation is saying, is, is, is moving us to strive to enter that rest, is saying, go to God's word. Go to God's word. And let God's word, God's word go to your heart. Go to God's word and let his word go to your heart. See, verse 13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to his eyes, of, to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, if you're not a Christian here today, and you read something like this, it might be frightening to you. And, you know, reading that, I would be frightened too. But when you're a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, this verse brings comfort that you are completely known by the God who created all things and created all things for rest. That you can be in his presence, fully seen, fully known, your heart, your mind, your thoughts, everything known to God, yet loved and cherished. See, since the fall, this picture is, 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 is of the fall in, in the garden where Adam and Eve walked before God uh, naked and unashamed. And when they uh, sinned, they became ashamed. They saw their nakedness and they wanted to hide from God. So what they did is that they put fig leaves on them, to, on, on themselves to hide them, uh, to hide their bodies, to hide their shame before God. And humanity has been doing that ever since, that we've been trying to hide our shame from God, that we're trying to get rest from God because we know that he sees us. We know that he sees our hearts. We know that he sees our thoughts. And it's led us to do s- stupid things, really, we, we try to hide from God and we try to uh, start all sorts of weird religions that, that are causing more anxiety, spiritualities that are, uh, that are just causing more uh, restlessness. And we see the culmination of that, that when we don't allow God to, expose our, to, to come into our hearts, when we don't expose ourselves to God, we see the, the culmination of that when uh, Jesus came and he was crucified by the religious leaders in, in, uh, in Israel and the uh, Roman soldiers, they crucified him. They crucified the Son of God. They tried to get rest from the Son of God, so they killed him. 
on the cross. What they didn't know, what they did not know, is that Jesus is the great high priest who entered heaven. What they did not know is that Jesus is the one who came to fix them, to fix their problem, to clothe them with righteousness. And that's what he does at the cross, is that he died for those people who killed him. And he died for you and me today. See, when Jesus, as the great high priest, the priest is the one who who mediates the presence of God and, and humanity. And when Jesus was crucified, he didn't, he didn't shed the blood of an animal. He shed his own blood, his, his sinless blood, so that by his blood we can be forgiven completely and we can experience that rest of God, that rest, that eternal quality of rest. See, in 2018, uh, the year that's coming ahead, we're going to have a lot of pressure as Christians to, to turn away from the faith, to walk away and to, to try to find rest in things that do not give rest, the things of the world, um, maybe passions and, and riches and all those things. And it's going to even use force. It's going to maybe, you know, people are going to try to, to push you away from, from, from your jobs and going to try to put pressure on you to abandon that. But what this is saying is that you're going to, if you give up Jesus, you're going to give up rest, eternal rest, now and forever. So please stand. Just to conclude here, um, I'm going to read the, the next three verses that follow the text that we've looked at. And it's going to help us to, to understand the gospel. So at verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you have done everything for us to come into your rest. That, uh, Lord, when we try to find rest in things that don't satisfy, you come and you, uh, you, you've done everything for us to be in a right relationship with you so that we can experience that rest and so that we can look forward to being in an eternal rest with you. Lord, would you uh, lighten our eyes and our hearts to that reality. Help us to, to, to be more affectionate with Jesus, to, to, to be faithful to Jesus, to persevere to the end. Lord, give us grace, give us mercy. We come to your throne in the name of Jesus. With that, the plea, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.